For this episode, we read the book Unashamed by Leah Vernon. I don't know if you've already heard of Leah Vernon, but she's pretty incredible. If you go onto Instagram and look her up, I think you will be just astounded at what she's putting out there on Instagram and just kind of how cool of a chick she is. Uh, This book was, I was about to say fun to read, but that's actually not true. It was heartbreaking. It was hard to read. There was a lot of things in here that were difficult. And I think that this episode in chatting with my guest, Jen Jackson, we really start to pull out some of the things that were really difficult to read. So I'm excited for you to listen to this episode. I just want to talk about a few things that I have that can help you in your body image journey before I jump into that. So if you haven't been here all that long, maybe you don't have a copy of it yet, but I do have a a resource for you called Your Better body image checklist and it's available on my website I wish I were me.com. It's got some really simple things that you can do to help you feel better when you look in the mirror. It is a checklist which I don't know about you but for me it's super satisfying to check something off on a list so hopefully you find that too when you pick this up. Now if you have been around here for a while uh, check out my Patreon page. I want to just jump in here and talk a little bit about that because there are some really great things about being in the Patreon community. Uh, one of the first things that I'll mention is that on every tier, I do a shout out to you every single episode. So with that, I am going to thank my Patreon supporters. So thank you to Pascal, to Amy, to Ace, and to Jenny. I really, really could not be doing this without you. Some of the other things that are available on there, uh, in the second tier, you get printables every month, which are super fun for me to create. (laughs) I try to alternate between doing one that's like a book printable and one that's like a body liberation printable. So some of the book ones include my read like a badass workbook, which if you pick it up before you start to read a book, it will help you to take your reading experience to a deeper level. So it asks you to do things like look up the author online and see what kind of things you can relate to with that author. Or think about the themes that are happening within the book. Or as you're reading, are there certain studies or things you'd like to fact check or look up because you're interested in learning more about that topic? It allows you to put a critical eye on the things that you're reading. One of the other things I've done uh, in terms of book themes there is that I did the ABC challenge for body acceptance books. So lately this year, anyway, in all the Facebook groups that I'm in, they talk a lot about this ABC challenge. So you basically take the alphabet, write it all out, and you're trying to find a book with a title that starts with that letter for every single letter of the alphabet. So I created one of those lists uh, using body acceptance books. And this month, as long as I can get my acting gear here, the printable for this month is going to be a body acceptance bingo card with specific books that are kind of, I think are really important to read, like The Body Is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor, and then different uh, squares that are things like uh, read something from an author who is a person of color, something like that. So it's going to be kind of fun and hopefully you will enjoy it. Some of the things that I do in terms of body liberation printables is I have done a boundaries 
workbook. I've also done a reflections and intentions workbook uh, that talks about, you know, not not goal setting when it comes to body liberation, but being able to set some intentions in terms of some of the things you'd like to maybe think about as you're going through your day. Things like, am I actually not using any food rules? Are, are there things coming up that I actually do consider to be a food rule? Things like you have to d- eat dessert after you eat your dinner. I mean, this is something we kind of grow up with. Well, is that a food rule that maybe we need to examine and uh, pull apart? Or is that something that we can live with, but we would like to maybe set an intention around it to be sure that we uh, are more aware of it? Anyway, these are the types of things that you would get in that second tier. In the third tier, I do extra episodes. So you get one or two episodes a month. I like to do one right now. I'm, I'm doing one every single month where I talk about the books that I've read. What's kind of fun about that is that I put a body liberation lens on pretty much everything I read. So that means I notice whether or not, I, you know, if I'm reading a fictional book, whether or not they have anyone in a marginalized body. So I'm also paying attention to the way that they are portraying bodies that are not white, cisgendered, able-bodied. I also look at a lot of nonfiction books. I'm in a personal development book club, and so we read a lot of these books. And it's kind of funny because a lot of these books, these personal development uh, books, it's funny just the way that they use diet culture in ways that, you know, uh, they make it out like it's common sense. It's in this black box of common sense in terms of what it means to be in a larger body and what it means to want to diet in the world around us. So I talk about that. I talk about how a lot of times with these personal development books, they do things like manifesting in abundance in such a way that they're kind of victim blaming. And so I talk a little bit about that in these episodes as well. So we really kind of get into what I'm reading, why I'm reading it, the things I think that are are the wrong type of messages and the things that I really like about them. So there's lots and lots of things that we get into. Also, because on this podcast, I do a lot of these body acceptance books, but I don't talk about my own opinions as much. I do tend to edit that out. So, uh, you know, this is a way for me to kind of get some of my own thoughts about these books out there. There's also things like uh, exclusive interviews with certain people. There are also, there's a whole episode that I did that was kind of a behind the scenes, like what goes into the making of an episode like this uh, in terms of, you know, what I do when I read in order to make sure that I'm collecting enough information that I can have an intelligent conversation with a guest about what it is that I'm reading, uh, how I create discussion questions, uh, just kind of the whole workflow with this podcast. And then this month I did an episode already, which is already on there, about my three favorite books for healing your relationship to food. So uh, I have a lot of fun with that. Uh, The last tier that is up there, you do get some specialty merchandise. You get a a Fat Girl Book Club mug, uh, as well as uh, my undying devotion, because (laughs) doing this work is hard work. But also there are, uh, we're going to be starting in there a quarterly book club uh, and we're going to be looking at doing some book giveaways and there'll be extra entries available for that. So it's really a good way to support the work I'm doing if you like this podcast, if you've liked listening to this podcast. 
uh, fairly low cost way to do that. And it's a way to get some extras, some things that, uh, you know, content around books, around body acceptance books in particular, and what the messages are that we're getting from these body acceptance books. And the more people I have in there, the more content I can create, especially in terms of these extra episodes, because I think that there are some authors in particular that I'd love to have on the show, but I tend not to, like, I'm pretty particular about what authors get on here because the whole objective with this show is to bring people on who are on a reading journey and what that book means to them and how they have absorbed the messages in that book. So I'm pretty particular about having authors on, but I'd love to be able to do some author interviews over in that particular space. So I will have a link down below. Please check it out and it would just mean the world to me. All right, so let's talk a little bit about this book that we're reading. So this one is called Unashamed by Leah Vernon, like I was already saying, and I am going to read the description of the book from the back of the book. Ever since she was little, Leah Vernon was told what to believe and how to act. Good Muslim girls listened more than they spoke. They didn't have a missing father or a mother with mental illness. They didn't have fat bodies. They didn't have husbands who abused and cheated on them. They certainly didn't have secret abortions. In Unashamed, fashion model Vernon shatters the myth of the perfect Muslim woman with frank dispatches on her love-hate relationship with her hijabi and her faith, race, weight, mental illness, domestic violence, sexuality, the millennial world of dating, and the adventure of finding her voice. Irreverent, youthful, and cheeky, Unashamed gives every marginalized voice an invitation to live unapologetically. That was a great description, actually, of what I read. I very much feel that that actually really encapsulated a lot about this book. Okay, let me tell you a little bit about my guest. So Jennifer Jen Jackson uses the pronouns she, her, hers, is a registered dietitian, nutritionalist, and certified intuitive eating counselor in Albuquerque, New Mexico, on occupied Tiwa territory. She is a provider in a fat body with ADHD and has lived experience with diabetes as an adult. These connections and experiences inform her practice and her life. With over 10 years of nutrition counseling and clinical experience, Jen's business, Love Jenny K, is here to support the healing of your relationship with food, body, and yourself. Jen's primary work is with disordered eating and eating disorders. All services offered are anti-racist, fat-positive, haze-aligned, queer and trans-affirming, actively non-diet, nutritionally agnostic and food neutral, sex-positive, trauma-sensitive, from a neurodiversity approach, and both justice and liberation-driven. That was a mouthful, that last sentence, but as you listen to this episode, I think you will come to understand Jen's perspective and how the kind, the level of not just the level of depth she goes into with the questions that we're talking about, but also her ability to listen in such an active way that the other person feels like what they're saying is really, she's really trying to understand what you're trying to say. And there's something about being listened to with that much, with that much activity with that much level of sensitivity that's really 
I mean, I walked away with from this interview feeling really lifted up, really lifted up in spirit. And quite honestly, I say this at the end of the interview, I could not believe how fast the time flew. I really still can't believe how fast the time flew. A lot of times with my interviews, out of necessity, not because the interviews uh, are boring or lagging or anything like that, just because I'm trying to be cognizant of not just uh, the person who I'm interviewing their time, but you, you, the listener's time, because I know that your time is valuable and I don't want, I want the conversation to keep moving. But I found with this interview with Jen, all of a sudden we were at the end and I was like, holy cow, I'm, I'm just getting, I'm feeling so much level of depth in what we were talking about. And, and I really, really hope that you feel that too. Uh, we jump into talking almost right away about Jen's podcast. So just to give you a bit more of a background on that, because I think we kind of jump right into that. The podcast is called Embodiment for the Rest of Us. Great name, great podcast. And she is one of two hosts of that podcast. I had Siobhan McClay on the podcast, not the last episode, but the episode before that, where we talked about probably one of my all-time favorite books of this year. I'm just certain of it. Don't Let It Get You Down by Savala Nolan. This is the other part of that co-hosting team. So I hope, you know what? I know that you are going to enjoy this discussion about Unashamed by Leah Vernon with Jen Jackson. Hi, Jen. Welcome to Fat Girl Book Club. Thank you, Jen. It's glad to be here. The two Jens together. The two Jens. Two J-E-N-N Jens. Exactly. That's pretty rare too. It is pretty rare. Yeah. So this is really exciting. I'm so stoked. Me too. Uh, (laughs) To to talk about a book, to share space with you, to have a rush of connection, to just dive in together. I'm so excited. I already love this podcast so much. It's such a joy to be here. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're a listener. I appreciate that very much. Uh, we read a book that there's so much to talk about. There really is. There really is. Yes. With glee. Unashamed Musings of a Fat Black Muslim by Leah Vernon. And I'm really, really excited to get into the discussion questions, but let's start with a little bit about you. So okay. uh, can you talk a little bit about what your journey has been like, what what your journey around body justice and fat liberation work has been? Sure. Um, I started off very far away from this work. It's been a journey to get here, both in my relationship with my own body and also with the world around me and in supporting other people in their relationship with their bodies. I'm a dietitian and I'm a certified intuitive eating counselor. And even as recently as becoming a certified intuitive eating counselor, which is inside the pandemic in 2020 in the summer, I still feel like there's been much evolution since that time. So a quick recap, just kind of sitting in a space is I used to love hardcore science, everything exact, everything perfect, everything easily displayed in an ordered fashion. I did research in college. I worked at NIH for a time in an externship thinking I was going to get my PhD and just do everything. Well, they call it wet lab science, but like really working with like cell culture and all these other sorts of things. And there were just not enough people in it for me. 
which surprised me because I felt really overwhelmed by people in general. I'm a people person, but like still need that restoration time. And I thought, oh, this is it. I'll just have a job where it's not so much people. And it's so much of my day that maybe I won't feel so depleted all the time. But I felt even more depleted without people. So I left that career after spending all my time getting degrees in that and, and doing the externship. And I pursued public health next, thinking this would be more justice and liberation oriented. At the time, I used phrases like underrepresented, um, which actually Leah used in this book, and underserved, right? Those are the big public health terms. Um, I did that in nutrition, and I did it to fix people. I did it to be the one with the, like, public health as an exact thing. Like, let's do the intervention. Uh, let's translate this. Like, all this language of being in charge of the narrative. I was still very much in that space. And then I started to work in that space. And again, I was like, where are the people? <laughs> there was just no people. And I realized that what I'm really, what I'm really interested in is what interests other people. Like not just like, what is the answer, but like what interests other people and the people doing that where I worked, I worked at children's hospital LA at the time were dietitians. They were the ones talking to people. They were the ones having interesting conversations and they were the ones doing a different kind of fix. So even at that time, so this is like 2009, it was still a place of how can I fix things all the way to becoming a dietitian where I realized I was extremely exhausted, like kind of over my own shit, <laughs> really exhausted by this process of finding like the right answer. And I took almost a year off. And that's really where I feel like I, it was my first break I ever took. I didn't take summers off. I didn't like have gap year, any, any kind of language like that. I didn't do anything like that. And so it was my first chance to have a break. And I was in my thirties and just really started to get connected with myself. So this is almost a decade ago, but what that really meant was being hard on myself, tough love kind of things. Being a dietitian initially, it was like, oh, I'm going to go to where the people are, all these other kind of public health terms but I overworked myself. I lived in Brooklyn in New York at the time and really overworked myself and was not really in the conversation. And about five years in, I realized that I didn't like being a dietitian. I didn't like any of this. And I'm like, no, but I finally did. All, I finally felt like I found something, but there was this real cognitive dissonance there that I was working. I wasn't helping anyone with diets or anything like that. That didn't feel okay to me, but I was still in a fix it place, fix them, fix it. Um, and it just didn't feel right. And someone, my own therapist suggested body image work to me and that that might be more of what I was talking about. And that started me on a journey. I took a body image workshop. I'm like, oh, it can actually be interesting and relatable. We can be relational in our work or I can be relational in my work. Um, and I can be a person while also being a dietitian. So that's like 2018 and all the way till now, we're recording this in early 2022. I actually feel maybe in the last three months, like I'm actually connected. Like I'm in a place of feeling like I'm supporting other people and supporting myself in these spaces all the time that I am okay with being an adult about things, which I am using that phrase to mean learning new information that you didn't know before and changing your mind about how you do things because you're like, Oh, wait a minute. I didn't know this versus like saying stuck, which is how I really felt as a dietitian and as a person before. So thinking about body justice and fat liberation, I love those two terms. I use those more recently. I used to use phrases like body positivity, which it took me a little time, but I realized that really wasn't by me or for me. I could toxic positivity my way and with myself and other people. 
And body justice still is inside of a system, like inside of the medical industrial complex. So justice for me is always a little conditional. There's still a kind of fence. There's still some kind of barrier. There's still someone in power. And liberation is really where we get to choose. So I love playing with those terms for myself and for other people. Those themes are definitely in this book that we read and really sitting in a space of like, how can we grow? How can we learn? And how can we stay connected with all the versions of us that are present inside of us really feels like it matches more of those words, both that they're relational and also that they're individual, that we actually have a say in that choice in that. The fact that you were connected so much to yourself to realize that you were in a place that didn't feel good and to begin to start to pull apart the pieces of why it didn't Mm. feel good. I feel like there's a lot of people that wouldn't have that much self-awareness to be able to do that. Uh, And so I think that that's really wonderful and really incredible. Uh, I really want to focus on, like you have got yourself to this place where you are helping people, helping people. Supporting um, people. Supporting. Yeah, I, I... because I agree with you, the fix it mentality that comes with a lot of th- diet culture things, but that comes with other things too, is not what you're talking about. From, mm. from what I'm gathering, it feels like more of a supportive role. Uh, but your own body image, mm. how have things transformed for you in terms mm. of your own body image when you started to come into this work? Oh, that's a really great question. And thanks for bringing it back around to that because I got a little lost in my details. The, mm-hmm. when we, uh, you know, body imaging, which is often how I describe body image, constantly taking images is like our experience of ourselves, of our embodiment, of what's around us. Capitalism would like us, all the other isms would like us to be kind of heads floating around, not really connected in that way, not considering and just doing. Yes. And it feels, um, I am a person, I was talking earlier about being burnt out. I I realized that the reason I wasn't really getting connected, I feel a lot more self-aware now. I definitely appreciate that. And I was also sitting like, yeah, and I can also remember a time when I was feeling incredibly not self-aware, kind of a space of like, why was that session hard with a client? Why was just that interaction with someone in my family difficult? I don't know what happened. There was a real disconnection there. Um, Mm -hmm. And a place in which I found grounding was in my own body image. So a book that was super helpful for me is Gabor Mate's Hungry Ghosts in the realm of Hungry Ghosts. Yes, yes. Really that the phrase that he uses all the time, the issues in our tissues, just realizing that it was very protective that I wasn't connected how busyness was protective for me. A lot of therapy helped me with this as well. And um, affirming providers who are themselves fat positive, because I am a fat person and I live in a larger body, that there could be, how would I phrase that? This is so interesting because when it comes, like to try to describe how my body imaging feels or even my embodiment, like it always mm-hmm. feels very safe to talk about it in more like existential terms or just like outside right. of myself. <laughs> right. um, I'm just right. noticing right. my brain sort of hiccuping about this and sitting in a space where it feels like uh, body image is definitely a journey, definitely something that's always in process, something mm-hmm. that feels difficult to put into words because it's an experience that only yeah. my mind body shares. So it's really interesting to try to put it into words, but I think that what I'm sitting with right now is it is a lack of friction, a lack of resistance, which sometimes there's still resistance, but it's just less. And also a space of neutrality 
And I don't mean like body neutral. Like I will see this body as neutral. Like this is my meat suit walking around. I don't mean like that kind of neutrality. I mean like a space that I can return to as a practice to check in with myself and see how I'm feeling. I was never doing that. Like, I really think I truly started to do that, I don't know, four years ago and really clumsily at first, as with everything that we're new to. Uh, so four years, almost four years into that, it feels like now it's not so clumsy. Now it feels more neutral. Even when it's not neutral, I can get back to neutral. Like those kinds of spaciousness is another word that's coming to mind right now, both in like taking up space in the literal world around us. Um, and also within myself that it's okay to pause and take up space with myself I don't have to just keep doing and going going from mm. here to there I can just yes and it's not stillness so I have ADHD and my neurodivergent brain will not sit with stillness so I never mean stillness <laughs> it's always active in here but more of a space of again that frictionlessness even in a mental way where it feels like uh, mental noting or just noticing things. Even when it's like, this really sucks today. I hate being in this body. That feels like a totally normal thing to think on particular days where things are just feeling like, like crap. That feels very neutral to me to notice. Like it feels like shit today and like no change that. Because so many of us, when we look in the mirror and we don't like what we see, we automatically think we have to fix it. Like our brain just it's the, that trench has become so deep Ooh, that we just yes. think it has like the next step is doing the next step is plan of action. The next step is whatever, to, just to do something. So no, I love, I, I know you guys have talked about being rather than doing rather than thinking on your guys's podcast, when you talked about embodiment and, mm. and I love that. I was like, that, that is, I, I struggle with embodiment. I know Siobhan and I were talking about this. I struggle with the word. Mm. And so it's, it's an interesting, it's interesting that it comes up for you guys mm. in the way that you've talked about it on your podcast. And I love it. Mm. So I, and, and I tried to even ask about I, embodiment I in the first discussion I question. <laughs> I was going to say like your question. I love that. Yes. You know, embodiment never felt accessible to me and never felt like the term for me. It felt like right. I couldn't even see it, much less grab it. And Siobhan's invitation with being on a podcast with her and sitting in a space of what if embodiment can be for the rest of us? Mm -hmm. Just there's something about that, that in this frictionless kind of space that I'm describing, just lets things flow. Yes. There's a particular yes. flow to even the conversation, um, which is great because even the phrase body image didn't feel like it worked. Even body imaging, it still brings up something in me that is a bit of a hesitation, but there's something about that that feels great. Uh, being ourselves with ourselves is, is what I think that I'm hearing in what you're saying. Like being with ourselves as ourselves. Yeah. Like even you talking about having like a bad like a bad body image kind of day, quote unquote. I had that the other day I was at my sister's house. Uh, and normally I'm kind of okay with how I look in the mirror. I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's me. Like I, I have no, I don't get hung up on things. I'm like, this is just who I am. This is what I look like. I'm frictionless. Like you said, there was no kind of stopping to sit with anything. I didn't have to, I'm fine. Uh, but I went over to my sister's house and she's a lot smaller than I am. Mm. And 
it didn't bother me until I saw both our images in the mirror. Mm. And for some reason I got hung up on how much bigger I was than her. Mm. And it, it, I could feel the wheels turning in my head <laughs> about, and Leah does this in this book too, where she gets to a point where yes. something happens at one of her uh, modeling gigs. And she starts thinking maybe diet culture isn't that toxic. And I can feel the wheels turning, but the longer that I go on this journey of, of, of healing myself, of healing my relationship to my body, the less those spirals spiral, mm. like the more I'm able to kind of go, Hey, you know, you the thoughts you're having right now are totally understandable, mm. but is that really your only option? Like, is that really what you want to do? And all of a sudden I'm out of it, you know, like it doesn't take me as long to come out of it. Yeah. And that's where I think the work is, is doing all these kind of like little things uh, to get us to a point where we can stay in that frictionless state, even when we're encountering something that's triggering for us. Yes. You know, and you just reminded me of something that happened in this book where Leah's talking to her therapist Mm -hmm. um, and her therapist says, who around you actually matches perfect? Like name them to me. Who are they? This is one of my favorite parts of the whole book, just sitting in that space as you were just talking just now, like we have this person, like everything's fine until we have a comparison point. We forget that we're both the content and the context. And suddenly we see something else and we just zoom out to where those other people are and start this comparison game. Um, And we get this illusion that it's easier for them or or whatever goes through it, it's easier for them or they have more access than I do, which is a very real thing. But just sitting in a space of I am less than, I am othered by just this simple comparison of being in the same, as you were just describing, being in the same mirror with your sister, which is just so normal and human. How we survive is we compare ourselves with each other. What are they doing to survive? How are they doing it so well? Should we do some of that? It's just such a normal, instinctive thing. But that dwelling, that cycling that you were talking about of sitting in that space, I love hearing you talk about your own neutrality of like just the practice of coming back out of things that feel sticky and tough and like the edges are really rough. Um, We don't have to stay there very long. And sometimes we do. Sometimes I stay in a bad body image space for weeks on end. But there's a feeling that comes with this frictionlessness that's like it's going to end Without that frictionlessness, there is not a feeling like that. It feels never ending. It feels really quite the opposite. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. And that's, that I think is some of the struggle when we start on doing body liberation work is that we haven't quite gotten to that space of frictionlessness enough to recognize how freeing that space is. Yes. And so sometimes we have to do this work with, uh, uh, just kind of blindly hoping that we're, that it's going to get us to a place where we feel better. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and um, it's site, the cycle that you're talking about, we like feel better then we come back to feeling better, but there's all this stuff in between our time with feeling more connected, more engaged, better grows, but also we still go back to those other points because we are humans. We're not robots. We're not an an extraterrestrial being coming down, right? We are just human beings. I love that name, but that's what the name that was landed on was human beings. That's one of, it's such just, it's such a grounding thing to just name what we are and be with what we are. I love that. Well, and I I guess here now I'm going to move into some of these discussion questions. 
Leah uses the term unashamed to, and and I think this is another beautiful word and uh, such a great thing to talk about. So she talks about unashamed. That's the title of the book. Why do you think she chose that title? Mm. What parts of her journey do you think she is being unashamed about? Mm. Um, And and how do you feel connected to that word? Ooh, this is such a Great question. I love the title of this book and I love this question. Unashamed is a state of being. It's also a real sense of awareness that you should have shame in a particular moment, an external thing. It comes from outside of us to have shame. And so to be unashamed is an act of resistance. She phrases it in one part of this as reclaiming that you actually have power over something when you reclaim it for yourself. So to be unashamed about it, you have reclaimed it for yourself. I find that a really beautiful way of talking about that. It's also, she mentions it in other ways as if this is going to be inaccessible to me in a way, like no one's going to hand it to me. Sometimes the power that I need to take is transforming my anger into grabbing that and taking it for myself. Like really harnessing something about that, either harnessing the power or whatever you get from that, which I thought was just really lovely. There are so many things in this book that are related to the word unashamed, like so, so many. I actually wrote this out to myself first and it was so many, I was like, I'm going to shorten this list. So sitting in a place of being unashamed, it is when her behavior, according to her, became like her mother's, which at first... I'm sort of picking bigger themes here. So at at first she felt Mm -hmm. like, oh no, I've done exactly what I've avoided, tried to avoid doing my entire life, which is to become my mother. And then feeling like I am my mother. So this is sexual relationships. This is her marriage and getting a divorce. This is a father figure being absent, right? She was going to hold onto the relationship with her father, even if her mother couldn't, couldn't do that with her father. She was going to do it. The photo shoot in London that you mentioned earlier in this space of, it was a public photo shoot. It was on the street. I'm sorry. It was in France. I said the wrong place. It was in France. And there was like an audience there bringing, like making all of her insecurities. Like, as I was reading this, I was like, oh, I can like feel her insecurities percolating to the surface of what's happening for her and she wrote so beautifully and she's a great writer in this way writing her dialogue so you hear what's happening for her and then she also tells you what happened next was it resolved was it not but you get to hear what happened first it's a really transparent look another word that she uses in relation to unashamed transparency but anyway in this Paris photo shoot they were like catcalling her but in like a this is what we do in France way was my impression from reading the book that was her experience of it like oh this is what they do here encouraging her to be more just be more herself during this photo shoot a big black woman big black Muslim woman she was wearing her hijabi in this shoot actually I think she's wearing a turban in this one yes it was the turban but still honoring her culture and her upbringing and her spiritual beliefs while also getting to feel unashamed. So I'm, what I'm really, this title of this book, I think is so interesting and so deep because even when she had shame, experienced shame, like an experience from the outside of feeling shamed, it was like a choice that she started making. We were talking earlier about neutrality. It's like her choice, her place that she keeps returning to is to be unashamed. And it blossomed even further into like how she dances on the dance floor. She had this video 
where she found that to be her embodiment. She actually used the phrase embodiment. She is the most embodied when she's dancing. And it was a challenge. It wasn't easy. The process of making that video wasn't easy. Um, and she still found a place where it was the thing that she wanted to share in an unashamed way. And in those experiences, knowing that she was going to receive pushback, trolling, et cetera, Islamophobia, fat phobic remarks, remarks from inside of her religion, inside of Islam, that are directed at her from people who say she's a bad representative of their religion still unashamed it's like in every direction that she could look she was supposed to feel shame like what i something in the beginning it was really hitting her as shame and then there's like this it's not even a turning point it's a turning set of years and experiences right she really summarized it very very quickly but it, it really is clearly a lot of experiences where she just realized she didn't want to spend energy on that anymore so what I really, the thing that really sits with me and the thing that I relate to, we were just talking about this, is the frictionlessness of being unashamed, where it's really sitting with, well, I don't know, what do I want to do? Like, I get what they want to do. Like, everyone's really vocal telling me everything that they want me to do. But what do I want to do? So it's really sitting in an authentic voice, in a transparent place with yourself where you do not breach your own boundaries, right? You don't trample them in an effort to please other people. Something that she related to a lot that she used to do. And she was talking about her younger self, that she wishes that her younger self could see her now as an example to look to. That when you are unashamed, it gets you to the places worth going, even if they're not the place you plan to be. And so unashamed is, I said at the beginning, it's like a way of being. It's also like living through your values, like being a very value-driven person to not let shame be the dominant narrative in your life, even though we are conditioned to take that on, to internalize it and to fix it, as we were also talking about earlier, but to sit in a different space, uh, whatever that space might be. So like the word unashamed, I feel, and the way it's used here and the way she so beautifully takes us through her experience of herself is how I would describe this book. Like she talks, it's the experience of her. It's a very different kind of autobiography than I've ever read before because the autobiography itself is as unashamed as the title. I mean, she talks about like everything. I'm sure it's not everything. She actually... She actually mentions in the epilogue and in thanking people at the end that she can't believe what she wrote down. And also we have no idea what she refused to put and be published. Uh, right. And, and so sitting right. in this space of unashamed doesn't have to mean <laughs> that you're always impulsive and chaotic and not in touch with yourself. Right. Unashamed is something that you can do uh, within your, within your own power and control it really kind of reinforces that and lets it sit in that space. So that's what I got out of the title. A lot. <laughs> a lot. Absolutely. You got a lot. It's, I just loved hearing all of that. That was great. It was like this good little synopsis of everything that had kind of happened for her. And I, one of the things I, I loved was that she opened the, um, prologue talking about how people in her family like to hide mm. things. Oh, that gave me chills. I forgot that. Thank you for reminding me of that. <laughs> well, and so she grew up with a lot of people who like to hide things. So the fact that she has been so direct and open, it, it goes against everything she was kind of taught. And you can, as you, as we read the first little bit and she talks about her mom and she talks about her dad, she talks about uh, her abusive husband. You can see that she was in those spaces. She was still hiding. 
And it isn't until she gets to the end uh, that she's even able to write this book. And because she does, like you said, she talked about, like, I started a list of all the things that I was like, if those happen to me, there's no way I think I could talk about them. Like she talks about, you know, like going to jail and her IBS and all the abuse she suffered and getting her period. Like there is not a lot of autobiographies I can think of that talk about and her abortion. Yeah. And and there's not a lot of autobiographies that talk about that, even in this space where we talk so much about the body, uh, there's not a lot of them that will touch on those things. So the fact that she opened up and talked about all these things, and like you said, did kind of a stream of consciousness writing, like she tells us she's super duper mad at her husband for saying what he said. And then, you know, they call the cops, the cops come, he gets taken away. And six months later, she's back with him again. I I think I can think of examples in my own life where I have done something told all my girlfriends and family how never do that again. And then went and did it again and kind of hide it and felt shame around it. And she has opened up and I'm not saying she didn't feel that shame because I imagine I'm assuming that, you know, you don't live in the culture we live in with the clear uh, family rules that she had and not feel it, but she's willing to be open up and talk about it. So the question I wondered about as I was reading this or not wondered about, but it was sort of like, Ooh, I wonder what do you think the difference is? And this wasn't on your discussion discussion question. So uh, what do you think the difference is between being unashamed and being vulnerable or is there a difference? Uh, I think there can be a difference. So obviously Mm -hmm. I'm only speaking about like my experience of this book and these words and things like that. But I do think so, because I think that unashamed can have an element of, how would I phrase that? Um, Overstimulation about it is maybe how I think I would phrase that. Like vulnerability can also feel overstimulating, but it's not an outward, like loud experience necessarily. Vulnerability tends to be very quiet. There is nothing wrong with being loud. I'm super loud, first of all. And there's just, it's my therapist would call this being part of the too much club, too loud, too opinionated, too whatever. Vulnerability can sometimes fall on that, but it tends to be rather quiet. We tend to save our vulnerability for where we feel safe. It's not always as brave of a thing necessarily, just in the way I'm thinking about these two words, unashamed has a real uh, braveness and bravado to it, I would say. Because it's not just being with yourself in a true way, an authentic way, like vulnerability. It's also the way, like the expression of it is often not filtered either, or at least that's what I'm getting. I'm in the context of this book right now, I guess. So just really thinking about how it's rather unfiltered. Um, Although I know it's filtered because she talked at the end about how she really healed through writing this book. So it makes sense that we feel this kind of catharsis along with her. The way that the unashamed also blossomed, it's an experience, it's a process. It's like stripping away layers before you get to the part where you feel unashamed. Not perfectly either. I really got that here too. Like not perfectly unashamed, but vulnerability also can, to me, feels like moments. Like maybe there's people we return to about that. And maybe it even goes from a safe space to a brave space, to a generative space, like what to do next and how to have the cycles not continue, but it's just feels more gentle. But this is, again, just my perceptions of these two words. Maybe that's how I would feel about these words related to myself. Well, and I was just going to ask you, nice segue. <laughs> Thank <welcome>. you. Uh, <laughs> what, 
What does the word unashamed feel like for you in terms of your own life? It reminds me of masking. In other words, unashamed is the opposite of masking. Just last week in a supervision call with a therapist who is in charge of a group where I'm supervised, I was like, I want to do a vulnerable share. But actually to get it out of myself, I had to really sit in a place that was more like unashamed. I had to sit in a place of, I'm going to even show how shamed I actually feel in order to feel unashamed about it. I was describing feeling the need to be masked with my clients. I didn't know I was describing that at the time. They gave me that language, everyone in this group. But just sitting in this place of, I have so many thoughts going through my head. I don't want anyone to think that I'm trying to fix them or judge them anymore. So sometimes my brain is really going hyperspeed about really trying not to do that. In other words, the opposite of frictionlessness. I'm like fighting myself inside my head. And it's very palpable to my clients. I know that they can see it. And I was describing that I don't want to leave it as a thing that's unsaid anymore. I want to be let, I want to acknowledge what's going on for me, but I didn't know how to do that because it was bringing me an incredible amount of shame. And so in talking through this and some tears came because I was getting a release, a wonderful thing about unashamed is, and the outward expression of things. And what she's saying in here is the release that I could feel her have. I had a really similar experience with it. This tends to be how I process. I just realized all of a sudden that I need to say something vulnerable. I don't know what I'm going to say. And then when I start saying it, I realize that I'm judging myself incredibly harshly. I have internalized some kind of shame. I have shame about being neurodivergent. I have shame about having thoughts when my brain feels like it should be silent and I should be perfectly present with people, something that's not a reality. And it felt so good to share it. Right. And what happened is I heard myself talking and I realized how universal and relatable what I was saying felt like even to me as I was saying it. And that tends to be, I said it earlier, like things used to surprise me, like how does that happen? But now I more feel them in real time and in a, like a similar way to that where it's just, oh, to be, so to use this language, to be unashamed is to feel something that has felt like shame and turn it into something else. Like there's an actual energy to it is I think how I experience it and how I feel it. Like how uh, something so beautiful in this book that I really, really relate to is, is anger becomes the energy that drives us forward. So unashamed also feels very spicy, <laughs> very angry. And so, yeah, I really, I relate to that. I used to like, it, it's like kind of that place of like, I'm just loud and I don't, I'm also have quiet moments, um, but my opinions tend to be very forward. <laughs> they tend to like come out of me versus like containing them. But that also can bring me shame to have just shared something so vulnerably. Mm. So the unashamed for vulnerability and unashamed, if I was to continue relating the two for me, feels like vulnerability gets me to the unashamed, like letting it out of me that it's not just contained yes. in my body. Yeah, I love that. I love that, that using vulnerability as, as almost like a practice to get you through to the point where you're unashamed about Ooh. whatever it is that you yes. needed to talk to. Yes. I love that. Ooh, me That's too. Great. I didn't know I was going to say that, but I really relate no. to what I said. <laughs> that happens to me all the time. I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> I love that. Well, and I love that we get it recorded. Like yes. that's the beautiful thing about podcasting, it. right? Yes. It's all, it's all recorded. It's yes. perfect. I was telling you earlier on our <laughs> podcast is when I listen to myself, but I'm like, Oh, like I, sometimes I don't even know what I'm saying until I listen to myself and I'm like, right. oh. okay, so got it. I got it. I got what we're saying. 
brilliant. Yes. Store that one up here. <laughs> it's kind of like when you write an essay, like in college and you go back and you yeah. look at it and you're like, who wrote that? I don't relate to that person. I didn't know I yeah. knew words like that when I was 20, stuff like that. It's very much that kind of feeling, but yeah. like talking in yeah. real time. Podcasts yeah. are awesome. They are. I agree. Um, <laughs> says two podcasters sitting on a podcast. Yes. Um, <laughs> so she talks a lot about her intersectionalities. And I know you guys on your podcast have talked a lot about intersectionality. Uh, what are her intersectionalities and how do you think that they have moved her through her journey? Ooh, I love this question so much because it's really thinking about the directionality of intersections. And it's also how they are part of our identity. In other words, how we move through the world or are affected by it, whether we notice it consciously or not. She refers to fat, black, with a capital B, and Muslim the most in the book. She talks about that a lot, especially in the last section where she's talking about like being in her body and coming into herself. She And also there were other things throughout the book, which she does summarize in a tiny little page or part of a really long paragraph on a page, but they were really sitting with me. So first of all, something that she described about being fat, black, and Muslim, and I would add woman to this, which she doesn't put together in there, but I was sitting with that too, especially the way she describes being a woman who is Muslim and the double standards inside of her religion and how she's shamed from outside of her religion and within her religion. So that's like definitely an intersection when it's so multi-layered like that. She described her intersections as really being important to her to think about and consider because they were visible. I mean, there's other things like she's divorced. She did graduate from college, but it was an incredibly taxing and challenging financial experience with her dad taking a check from her and lots of other things that happened, right? It wasn't an easy experience. She didn't feel like she had friends at the end of college. She didn't feel like she related to those people. There's things that are not necessarily visible. Also um, socioeconomic status with the transitional nature of her household growing up, her mom marrying multiple people, um, all of the siblings having a different dad, which I feel like took on a different element in this book than I've ever heard, heard before. That itself was not a source of shame. It was the instability that really was that feeling. Although she did later talk about the relationship of each of her siblings with their respective fathers, that they all had a really mirrored experience of one another. So it's still a dynamic there. But this visible part was really the things that stuck out to me. Maybe it's because she's a fashion blogger and model and plus size model. Maybe it's because she illustrates what she's experiencing by talking about what's happening outside of her and to her really, really explicitly. And I'm sure she left some things out, some details and things, but it's the visibility part of it. So it's a really interesting topic, like being perceived by other people. So what I really got from this book is she felt like she never had a choice her entire life about whether or not she was perceived by other people. So her mom was not born Muslim. She became Muslim. Neither was Leah. She wasn't born Muslim. And when they became Muslim, the clothes that were modest and that fit her body were t-shirts for men, or at least without any kind of structure to them, just like straight, not form fitting at all. And people asking if she was a boy. So our feeling so visible and challenged at such a very young age, I can't remember what age she said. I just know it was very young about who you are because of how you're dressing is something that really hits people who are in larger bodies much harder because it's not seen as a taboo thing. It's just seen as normal. And there was also 
a time that she mentioned when she was at prayer in a mosque. And the position is she was bent forward and someone behind her came up to her without her permission and pulled her shirt down. She assumes that like part of her skin was showing. She doesn't even know what happened. But so it's not just perception and visibility that affected her life, but it's also this idea of even the most basic forms of ownership over her that anyone could not ask and have the right to touch her clothing and adjust things so they're more modest in from their perspective. Fix her, in other words. So really these things that are visible, how shamed she felt, unashamed is those things that feel like they're hers now instead of other people's. Because something I was really sitting with in the way that she describes intersectionality and feminism, because she's a real advocate for it having a place if you are Muslim. Such an interesting set of dialogues in here about that, that it's really about what she chooses to use those words for and what she wants to embody. It's not a reflection of anyone else. It's her experience and her experience alone. And in a religion that is super visible because of a lot of negative stereotypes and also uh, from within inside, inside the religion, that there is yeah. also um, this double standard that I mentioned earlier, that there isn't anywhere for her to go and win She's so visible. Her identities are so intersectional and so oppressed and marginalized. It makes so much sense that where she feels safest is at home by herself. Right. That just sounds normal to me. And, and these impacted her life because it took her a long time to create herself. It's a lot of energy to be constantly opposing shame, impo uh, opposing the views of other people and feeling like no matter where you go and no matter what you do, that you can't win, that someone's always going to have something to say against you. And those times were really hard for her too. So, and none of those yes. are her choice. Right. So right. they're visible and she has right. no power there except in making uh, the experience hers, which she talked about so much in here and for herself, which just feels so valuable and important. Because I, I think at the start of the book, like these intersections that, you, that you've highlighted, like you said, are so visible. So it doesn't matter like if we're at the start of the book or if we're at the end of the book, from the outside, she still has all those. And what also doesn't really seem to matter is that as she goes through, mm -hmm. she's policed by different people in her life, her, her, her mother, her father, her husband, her religion, like you said, uh, all these outside forces. But when she is at the end of the book and she is modeling and out there in the world, she's still being policed, even though she has uh, kind of, I don't want to say broken free, but into some regard by the end, she has broken free a little bit from the confines of Oh, yes. the abusiveness within her family and definitely with her yes. husband, ex-husband, uh, but she's still being policed with all the trolls and the mm. internet activity that comes and the hate. Mm. And so, yes. you know, I mean, one of the things that I think really changes throughout her journey, and I know I'm jumping ahead on these questions, but one of the things That's I, okay, go wherever you like, I think really changes is her ability to handle um, mm. and really connect with herself which I think is what you were talking about, really being able to say, okay, I'm going to get hate no matter what. Hmm. So what do I want? Exactly. And I think that's tough for anyone, let alone someone who has such visible intersections that, I mean, she even said that freaks so many people out. That's, I think that's a direct quote. She does yes. say that freaks yes. other people out. <laughs> 
They don't know what to do. <laughs> no. Yes. No, they really and don't. <laughs> many of her things that were intersections felt like they became strengths for her when they became her identity. Like yeah. I identify as this. You were talking about, I'm going to get hate anyway. Okay. I'm visible. All my identities are visible. So what do I want to do? Yeah. When you said that, I was really thinking about how that sometimes that's the only thing yeah. we can control. Yeah. Okay. But what do I want to do? Yes. And something that she described in here, that's just sitting with me again now is she realized she was waiting for her life to happen. Mm-hmm. And when she's really sitting in her identities, she's not waiting. She's mm-hmm. just in the life that she wants yeah. to happen. Yeah. Whether she's getting hate or not, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It matters that she's getting the life that she wants. I do wonder, uh, a little bit how much of this like when her husband when everything happened with her husband if that didn't just force her to take mm. a good hard look at what was happening in her life uh mm. and and become the turning point where she actually does say you know what i'm just sick of this i'm just sick of all of it uh i mean her husband was incredibly abusive. Uh, the, the scenes between them were hard to read. Uh, the scenes, especially their whole relationship was abusive. It was very abusive. I mean, it's classic emotional abuse to call someone smart and say, they're going to go somewhere and then break up with them and then sleep with them without their consent. Like all of these, as I was reading, I was like, you know, okay, I've had a similar experience and this felt Mm -hmm just so difficult because he was employing these classic emotional abuse techniques where, you know, you're love bombing them and then you're taking that away and you're saying that nobody's ever going to love you. And just doing those, those two things alone between the love bombing and the gaslighting uh, you're in such a tizzy and she's already gone through so much with between her mom and her dad. Uh, You know, you knew like just reading all that was very difficult. But when he walked out the door and she had stopped talking to her mother and her dad had said, uh, I'm, I'm done with you. You're no longer my daughter. She doesn't exactly say this, but it sort of felt like all of a sudden that was the turning point where she, it was slow, but she still had to kind of figure out I'm done. I'm just done. I'm done with dealing with all of these uh, this box that people are trying to put me in this perfectionism that I'm trying to uphold that I'm not, I'm not making work that, you know, and she knew enough to go try to get help. And I thought that was really brave and wonderful of her to talk about. So I, you know, in my head, I was sort of like, okay, I think that that was the turning point when all of a sudden Mm. she had the intersectionalities all along, but that's the turning point where she chose to look at them in a different way. I totally agree with you. I can't remember how she phrased it in the book, but she said something that really hinted at that. As I was just listening to you say that I was really realizing that it was, it was, it was really sitting with me as marriage had been doing all of the things that you're supposed to do. Mm, Yes. Both to not be like her mother and also to do the good Muslim things. Reminds me of the good fatty, bad, fatty conversation. Yes. Where it's like, I'm going to be, and she has that too. Good fatty, bad fatty, good Muslim, bad Muslim. So she was, she was doing everything that she was supposed to do. And it still turned into something that didn't work out in a rather disastrous fashion, really hard, traumatic, awful fashion. It just really feels like a breaking open. I I really kind of got that as soon as it was over, even if it wasn't instant, 
that she didn't recognize who that person was before performing all of this stuff for other people Yeah, yeah. in every direction where she couldn't win anyway. She was exhausted and she doesn't like, she doesn't know who that person is. So who does she want to create herself to be from like, sort of, we can think of it like from the ashes of these situations that imploded or exploded. I, I felt I was, I was surprised how, and I think this is the stand that she is for intersectional feminism. Mm. is that in the way that she wrote this book, you can really feel what she actually means. It's kind of like she showed through actions. There are words on a page, but she really demonstrated what it's like to embody that and to not let anyone mess with that. Even Mm. when they mess with it, to just not let them forever mess with that is just such an interesting and powerful thing. You were talking earlier about this space, like the body image space, uh, body justice, fat liberation, any space like that. Coming into this space is very intimidating. We can get super black and white on off dichotomous about how we feel and talk because we're trying to not be what we were before. Something that I found really beautiful is even though she was saying like, I reject a lot of that. I'm not doing any of that anymore. She still said, but I choose me. So there was this feeling of, okay, not that, but it doesn't have to be the complete opposite just for the sake of it being opposite. It can still be me. And I really related to that like right now, but during most of my journey up until this point, I have not felt related to that. I felt like, why isn't it happening faster? Why am I so rigid still? Why can't I get rid of the, I mean, I can change the thoughts once they happen, of course, but just there's something really evolving. And she used the word an evolved version of herself or the phrase, and you can We experience that evolution. That's what I mean about how it's different than your typical autobiography, where it's like, let me explain how I got here. Yes, we do get an explanation of how we got here, but there's a beautiful look at forward and backward and present and how things really relate to who she is as a person. You know, she studied creative writing and nonfiction is something she wasn't particularly that interested in. I can hear the creative writing aspects of this where the truth becomes super clear really apparent like in a really good fantasy book the truth is so clear it's something I love about fantasy books they're so clear Um, even when they're complex and and so involved there's some clarity to them right they take on like their own universe kind of thing this really feels like I we get to see what her universe is like which is so cool I I liked how she uh and you talking about intersectional feminism uh reminded me of this remember when she first signed up for tinder And she was saying that she was doing all these things where she, that, you know, I mean, this goes back to being unashamed because she's talking about these things when I think a lot of people would be hiding this, but she was like, I was sexting with guys. I was showing, you know, I was showing dirty pictures. I was at the same time, she was writing about intersectional feminism. So she's showing us this kind of gray area. Like this, this time. And I think so many of us have experienced this where, Mm. and in body liberation work, I know I have where I am, you know, I I'm talking about not dieting at the same time. I still have some food rules happening, you know, like where you're living in this gray zone because you're still trying to figure out what, not what side of the fence you're on, but what your own coming into yourself is going to look like. And, you know, neither of these things feel right yet. And so I love that she showed us part of that and didn't just take that part of it away and showed us like a bunch of turning points to get us to where she was at the end. She showed us this gray area. And 
she did it in a way that was very like I sort of was like wow I some of these things were like wow I can't believe you're talking about this and I love you for talking about it yeah she's talking about how life itself is not actually mutually exclusive in all of our theorizing and modalities we pretend that things are so mutually exclusive (laughs) sometimes we use that as like a tool for understanding how things can be different or distinct from each other but really things aren't like that. We do that as a psychological exercise, but they're all overlapping. Everything overlaps. Opposites overlap, things that are similar overlap. And she was also, when she's talking about Tinder, she's like, it's addicting to swipe left and swipe right. <laughs> yeah. Like she, she was really honing in on like, I get what people get out of this. In other words, what I, what I heard in what you said and what I really got in these moments of, of, of the in-between is that we it's really important for us to experience things for ourselves because the opinions that we get tend to be one side or the other, super rigid and opposite. But we can find the gray area when we experience them. It was very freeing for her as well, as as like an exercise, even with all the challenging thoughts and experiences it brought with it. It's just, she's just living life. And, you know, I mean, for me, the lesson that I took from that was that it is okay. Like, because I think sometimes being in spaces that are very binary, it's very easy for us to go, okay, well, you know, this authority says, uh, I don't know, that the only way we can be is if we're also fat activists and we have to start attacking other people who talk about bodies and this is the way it has to be done. And what I took from, from her talking about everything was that it is okay to find yourself and to find what needs to happen for you to be able to live in a space that is caring for you, that is about self-care. And I know she didn't use that word, but to me, that's how I felt was like, it's, it's okay to go through this journey. It's okay to experience these gray areas. It's okay to figure this stuff out for yourself. It's okay. Hmm. permission. Ooh, yes. Yes. I was just, I was just hearing that word too myself permission, you know, even in intuitive eating, there's this phrase unconditional permission to eat, Mm -hmm. but we feel when we're in that space, like there are conditions just not about the forbidden things anymore. Uh, We may not recognize that we're feeling this way, but it can feel like a really contentious place to try to experience something for ourselves, but have an idea that we're not allowed to have conditions, right? (laughs) That's so rigid actually, right? To sit in this space of, you can't have any conditions is a condition. And so when we're not allowed to do that, it's like, be careful, don't go wrong, don't go that way. So a lot of what she experienced for herself is if there wasn't a right or wrong, if she just got to experience something, even with all the stuff swimming in her head about what other people had said, is it for her, right? A lot of those experiences, well, some of them, she's like, this is for me. And some of them, she's like, this is not for me. Yeah. Uh, Even her first two experiences of blogging, it took her three tries to start blogging. The first two times it did not stick, but I was really hearing that as I wasn't unashamed yet. She didn't say that, but it's like, there was something holding her back in those moments that was not when she finally did in 2013, which just feels it feels really honest, transparent and honest. And, you know, you were talking about self-care, which always makes me think about community care. Cause if it's, we don't have a community Mm -hmm. that helps us each have self-care, it's just not accessible. And she first looked to her Muslim community for that. That's what she said she was there for, for community. 
this space and experience and the word community. And when there were um, double standards and oppression from the people in power within that religion against her and pushing her down, it makes a lot of sense that she didn't feel unashamed yet. It was only when she really had freedom from that. I love her description of spirituality as well. It's up to each of us individually. It's whatever we say our connection is to something, whatever that is. So really this honing in on someone's lived experience as the most important part of their experience, which, ooh, that really resonates with me. She didn't use that phrasing in here, although in one thing, she was on a panel in Canada that talked about lived experience. It's the only time that phrase was mentioned in here. <laughs> Yay, Canada. Which I, which I loved. Um, and I love when someone feels transparent and feels mm -hmm. free. And then yeah. other people go, we want more of that. Yeah. And that's what tends to happen too. When we're really acting and being from ourselves and feel so connected yeah. and unashamed. Yes. yes. Well, talking about her last experience there really brings up for me this idea of representation. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think normally when I think of representation, it's, it's being able to see myself or someone who mm. looks like me in other spaces. But what Leah actually wrote was seeing a body like mine taking up space is something people need to see because discomfort is growth, right? Mm, yeah. Mm. What do you think about representation and even the way Leah talks about representation in this book? I thought the way that she talked about it was really deeply authentic. What, and, and really her experience is what is not normally centered, demonstrated or represented is really what needs to be represented. And it doesn't matter if someone identifies with every intersection that she has that's visible or that she describes to them. It just matters that they connect about something. So what I'm really getting from like the title Unashamed and her experiences, she, the representation of her in Paris having that photo shoot where it was so unique that it created a crowd of a hundred people cheering her on and wanting everything to be for her to know that she was being witnessed in a really particular way. I found so interesting. I also really got that when she says like, I know I'm going to get trolls or hate when I do particular things and she's, but it needs to be done. And that's when she's talking about how discomfort is a kind of growth or is a, is a sign that there's growth. I also think, and that's like the activity part of unashamed, like, and it doesn't even have to be like in a place of discomfort, just like on the edges of our comfort, even the edges, a little push there can feel so important. And like representation makes me think of diversity. And I don't mean like some sort of boilerplate version of diversity. I mean, centering the most marginalized and oppressed because they're not, they never have been. So it would take a really, really long time of centering that kind of representation to first of all, change the way our society is used to viewing people. It's already happening in some small ways in popular culture, but it's not everywhere. And the, the, there, I don't think that the people that representation is really trying to hit, not just the people who relate, but also people who are trying to pull compassion, being like, can't you just have compassion? Even if you don't relate, that representation is still important. I think, so I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that um, I'm kind of like thinking about this in real time. But empathy relating to someone and compassion, just having a sense of connectedness with another person, whether we relate to them or not, like feeling for them, um, are both so important. 
and representation where people just look like us. So she talks about straight sized people, which is a description of um, sizing. Like when you go to the store, straight size is available in most stores. In other words, you can go find your size in most places versus being plus size or other phrases that are used for this are fat, mid fat, super fat, and fat, all related to size uh, of clothing that when there isn't representation, how will a store know that they should also match that represented group? Um, also two thirds of us are fat, but that's not what the representation is like, right? It's highly focused on being straight size. And so it just provides, when we're in a vac, I think I'll summarize it like this. When we're in a vacuum of representation, we don't know what reality is. So any kind of expansion or centering of the most marginalized, like treating in the margins, looking in the margins, all that kind of stuff is we just let reality in more and more and more. And we can't really deny it when we recognize it as reality, but we have to have it represented for us to recognize it as reality. So what she does as a job, representing fat black Muslim women who are divorced, who are in therapy, who grew up in a household uh, dominated by mental illness in a culture that says that's not a thing. You're not a good, good Muslim if there's mental illness, right? You have sinned. That's why that's present, those sorts of things. Just sitting in that space, I'm just, I'm just sitting with what is ideal becomes a norm. So the more something gets represented, the more it gets to fit into that category of ideal. Also, when she was talking about perfection in the book, aligned with ideal there is no ideal there is no magazine picture of anyone any editorial where they're not photoshopped even if they are they have to say so up front right so it's like it's really still part of the same kind of mix we can't trust those images there they're not reality so it's also like being uh she talks about makeup makeup being too loud too vibrant for being muslim it's a criticism she often receives as well as the color of her turban and how she wears her hijabi. So just representation, even within her identities of, we don't only have to do it one way. We're not cookie cutter versions of each other. Again, tells us what reality is. So just really sitting with that. That's really like something I've been sitting with since reading this book. I'm like, ah, we need to know what reality is. What is it? Yeah. So it's an interesting discussion to have about representation. And I think the fact that she's out there and making people feel uncomfortable, like this troll too, the, the one who would take her, like put so much time and energy into taking her pictures and animating them and then adding all this voiceover, like clearly she's making people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And she feels that that's a really good thing to do because then it is going to get people to start thinking mm. and begin to change their minds. And I love that idea because I'm like, okay, I hope it does get people to change their minds. Maybe not this dude, but maybe somebody else who happens to see her reaction or something, maybe it will start to get them to sit with their discomfort. I know that's hard for people, yes. but I do think it's a worthy thing to do. Oh, and I yes. love that she brought that oh, up. Oh, I love that. You know, I was actually thinking of discomfort related to her own discomfort comfort. And I'm just really hearing your question in new context, which I think is so important. Like who is the one who is going to be uncomfortable here? And why does it have to be me is really a journey, like a real journey that she had throughout this book. And in the end, it's like, it doesn't have to be me. She took that troll that you just mentioned. She posted their video on her social media. And she's like, look at this. What a way to take your power back in a situation that can just bring this horrible 
icky feeling within you to be so violated. I mean, it's just via social media, but that's, it has the same feeling of other kinds of violation. It feels really real. And to make it real, like, as in, here's what I have to say about this. And they took that account down because everyone really seemed to need to know that that was happening. Uh, Such a powerful thing, such an unashamed thing to do to say, here are people, here are how people are shaming. (laughs) Yes. Let's talk about it. Everything is just a conversation. It's something that I say all the time. And something that I really thought a lot while reading this book is, wow, this is just a conversation. She's having continual conversations with herself and she's letting us witness it. It's like constant conversations, Um, not just evolution, but like returning back to some things and being like, what do I, what do I have to say or think about this now? Like, it's just a conversation. I'm going to have another one really powerful. So beautiful. Yeah. So it's so powerful. Totally agree. Uh, I cannot believe that the time has flown the way it has. Like literally it's just like, wow. So you have a friend who reads this book, really likes it and comes to you and says, Hey, I'm looking for something else. It's kind of like this. What would you suggest? That would be belly of the beast. Mm. Yeah. Good one. By I think it's Deshaun Harrison. Right. Yes. That's right. That, which is all of, so this is like very much present day. You can think about how things really are right now, including in the pandemic. The end of this writing of this book is really about the pandemic. Beauty of the beast was also published in the pandemic and it's really talking about how things are now things that in reality, like really similarly that we may or may not want to see and may or may not experience, but it's still important to talk about because they're reality. And there is just something about the way that they write, just like Leah, that is so piercing because I think it's because it's so transparent. Right. I love transparent writing. Yes. It's so wonderful. So that's, that's what I think I would recommend. I have actually been thinking about it since I read this book and thinking, (laughs) should I go read it again? Because I was reminded Mm. of that book several times in here, Mm. like several, several times. So it's, I think even a recommendation to myself would be to go read that again next. Mm. That's really what's been sitting for me. Uh, Well, Jen, can you tell people where they can find you and some of the things you've got going on right now, you guys do a podcast. So if you want to talk a little bit about the name of your podcast and what you guys talk about, that'd be great too. Sure. So you can find me at lovejennyk.com, L-O-V-E-J-E-N-N-I-K.com. That's the name of my inner child. My, even my website sends love to her. That's my business webpage where you can really find me active is on our podcast website, embodimentfortherestofus.com. And that's the name of our podcast, Embodiment for the Rest of Us. Siobhan, who was already on your podcast, Mm -hmm. um, dreamt up this name and invited me to do it because I'm the person she thought of. And we are having a blast. It's a, it's a a blast about hard topics, which is a really strange thing to say. Um, but it also feels really important. It feels like a kind of neutrality, a kind of space holding for things to have a lightness to them, even when they really suck. So embodiment, like being in your body and experiencing your body and rest of us, like who is that conversation normally not for, not for, where, where does it feel harder? Who is doing work about that? And what can we learn from them in our explorations and exploring with each other? It really feels like a conversation. It's so much fun. And that's with Siobhan McClay. It's, that's awesome. That's what I'm up to. I might be doing some groups later in the new year. I haven't even decided which kind of groups they will be, but it's on my mind for more shared space as the pandemic continues. So sitting with that. 
<laughs> well, that that is wonderful. All those things will be in the show notes. Everyone can yeah. scroll down and click. Well, thank you, Jen, for being on Fat Girl Book Club. Thank you, Jen, for having me on Fat Girl Book Club. It was such a joy. That was just so good. I enjoyed that so, so very much. Uh, some quick notes about this book. This is a book where we follow, as a reader, we follow a woman who is really looking back on her life autobiographically and pulling out things that I think would make other people, and I know makes other people feel shame about their lives. And she's pulling them out and talking about them. This includes things around her mother's relationship to men, her own relationship to men, having an abortion, how her beliefs fit in terms of her religion, uh, dealing with trolls, dealing with things even like uh, talking about IBS and uh, living in a larger body while trying to model. She pulls out a lot of things that I think a lot of other people would and probably still do feel a lot of shame around. And she pulls them out and says, let's talk about this. I think that this book is good for anyone. If you really like to read stories about other people's lives, this book is for you. And I don't think it's going to be what you were expecting. Raw, vulnerable, disorienting at times, and a delight to read. Please don't forget to grab the Your Better Body Image checklist off my website, IWishIWereMe.com. Please, please, please do think about taking a look at my Patreon page. I would love it if you did it. Thank you so, so very much. And if you want to, connect with me on Instagram, Fat Girl Book Club Pod. I will be there. We can talk about the episode. Keep reading, everyone. <laughs>